Well, good morning. It's good to see each of you today as we meet together on the Lord's Day for worship. It's a joy always to be together. Um, we think about, you know, in the, in the rest of the, in, in another part of the world, there's, uh, this is Easter again. This is Orthodox Easter. Um, one year I was in Senegal and when uh, I was at home for regular Easter and I came over there and um, got to Senegal and we had the opportunity to have Easter in a sense almost all over again because there were, there were some folks there that were still celebrating Easter as a result of uh, the calendar there. So it is fun to see how the Lord worships and how, uh, how we worship the Lord and how the uh, traditions and so forth are upheld all across the world. Well, we're looking at Hebrews together and the last time I was with you, we were in Hebrews chapter 2, and I looked at chapters 3 and 4, and I'm going I'm to read part of chapter 3 and part of chapter 4 because they all kind of tie together. It, the thoughts that the author is using here are tying together, and, and I wanted to do that. So I'm going to ask you, if you're following me in your Bibles, look at Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading at verse 12. And then I will read into chapter 4, and we'll go from there. So, let me begin then. This is always, we remember God's Word. This is His truth. This is what He's given us to know Him by. We know that it's authoritative because it's the Word of God. We know that it's without error because God can't lie to us. So, here we are, chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm through the end. As it is said... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who, were, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened." For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, I swore as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he points to a certain day, saying, Today, 
through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word. Let's bow and have a word of prayer. <coughs> Father, we thank you that we can come this morning, that we can come to your word, that we can come in prayer, that we can come with singing, that we can come with rejoicing and know that you are the one that has brought us here. You've brought us together. You've given us opportunity to, to uh, study your word, to pray, to fellowship together. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us today. We pray that your, the thoughts um, that we have, the, the things that we see in the text, all these things would be things that the Holy Spirit uh, does as he leads us into all truth. We trust in you and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. A few weeks ago, when we were talking about the... Uh, shooting in Nashville at Covenant School. I guess it's hard to not keep thinking about that. This shooting, I think, has struck me more because I knew something about the church. I knew one of the former pastors. I knew some of the people that went there. And this one has really stuck with me. Uh, I keep thinking about those families and the loved ones that they have and how hard it must be to get up every day and see remembrances of those children or adults that were lost and have those painful moments when they think about all of that. They have to ask themselves, in a sense, how do we keep going after having faced all of this? Susan and I study, were talking yesterday about a study that she's doing in 1 John. And as we were talking about 1 John, we were talking about the whole, the difference between the, the two words that seem so preeminent in uh, 1 John, the, the word abide, and then the, then the other word of walking in faith. And we talked about that difference between abiding and walking in faith. And abiding is really holding on to the truth that you know. And walking in faith is basically making progress in that truth that you know. Uh, walking in faith is a bit more, it seems, than abiding, uh, though uh, both are so closely connected. Now here in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, we see the Hebrew Christians holding on. The Hebrew Christians are holding on because remember they had suffered a lot. 
They'd suffered persecution. We talked about some of the persecution that they'd been suffering. They had been reproached and ridiculed in public. They had endured great sufferings. They'd been identified, they'd identified themselves with some of the believers who had been suffering. Uh, and they also had their property seized. Um, they had given up a lot to be Christians. Their faith was so important to them that they'd given up a lot and they were suffering and it was hard. The author of Hebrews is writing to these folks to tell them to keep holding on, not to fall short of trusting in Christ, not to give up. So how do they keep going in the face of such hardship? Well, I see several things here. One of the first things that you can see is that the author of this letter is telling them, remember what happened in history. Keep, you keep holding on by remembering what happened to the forefathers in the faith. After the Exodus, you remember, when all the, the forefathers of the faith, you know, were in, all their ancestors were in uh, the wilderness, and they were uh, traveling towards the promised land, God had promised them this home, you know, and it was a land full of richness and abundance. And the people were anxious to get there. You know, they were, they were anxious to get there because remember, they'd been slaves for 400 years. And they'd been slaves for so long that they were anxious to come to a land where they wouldn't be slaves, to come to a land that'd be all their own that God was going to give them. They were anxious to get there. They were anxious to experience the abundance that God had promised them in that land. Um, the Lord had told Moses to send out spies. You know, they got right up to the edge of the land. The Lord says, um, says to Moses, go send spies out. Go put them out there. Let them, go, uh, let them go into the land of Canaan. Look around and see what's in the land. And so they sent a spy from every one of the tribes, and they all went out. And when they went, they looked over at the land and they said, you know, this land is exactly like God described it. It's a rich land. It's full of abundance. It's flowing with milk and honey. It is so rich and wonderful. But the people of the land are strong and their cities are big. And, you know, he, the, all these spies came back with this negative message because they said the, the spies, what we've seen is that these people are almost like giants, some of them. And they're too strong for us. And they even exaggerated how bad things were by, when they talked to the people. You know how we hear a story and then we kind of add to it and make it even worse than perhaps it was before? That's what they were doing. They were exaggerating. They say, oh, these cities are way too big and, and the people are like giants and we'll never win. It'll be hard. We can't take the land. We've got to go back. And you know, they were so discouraged. They discouraged all the people of Israel and everybody except just two guys, said, uh, okay, let's appoint somebody and we'll get a new leader and we don't want Moses anymore. We'll get us a new leader and we'll get somebody that'll take us back to Egypt. Now, how in the world they thought that was going to work, I don't know. But that's what they said. They said, let's appoint a leader and he'll take us back to Egypt where, where we had it good. Well, what happened to the forefathers? in, in uh, the wilderness. He says, when you look at what happened to the forefathers in the wilderness, they failed miserably. 
They failed miserably because they got to the border of the promised land, but they wouldn't cross over. They got right to the edge. They looked at it. They saw it was good, but they still wouldn't cross over and go into the land itself. They came up short. The author of Hebrews was telling them, was telling these first century believers, don't come up short of real faith. Don't let any of you have an unbelieving heart like they did. Don't let any of you come short of trusting God. You see, that's what, that's what he's saying here. In chapter 3, in verse 12 of chapter 3, he said, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. In other words, that falls short of trusting in the living God. Don't let any of you come up to see the Lord Jesus Christ, see how wonderful He is, see what He did for you on the cross, and don't come up short by refusing to commit yourself to Him, by refusing to commit your life to Him. Don't come up short of real faith. Well, sadly in their history, we know that they did come up short, so many of them. In fact, God says, okay, everybody that said our children will die if we go into the land, He says, we're going to reverse that. He says, you're going to walk around this wilderness for 40 years and you're going to die and your children are going to go in and they're going to take the land. But everybody that said no is going to stay out here and you're going to face what you, you're going to face what you thought. You know, you're going to face not actually winning the land but losing it. Well, the author of Hebrews is warning these first century believers, don't be like your ancestors who refused to trust God's promise. In fact, he quotes over and over again from Psalm 95 where David said, you know, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. But put your faith in the one who is worthy to be trusted. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like at Meribah as in the day of Massa, when your fathers tested me and they tried me and they erred in their heart, they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter my rest. And you know, that's exactly what happened. David was responding, reminding them what happened in their history. Now, Paul, when Paul wrote Romans, he wrote this one verse that has always struck me from chapter 15. And that verse says, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So everything in the Old Testament that they could look back on, they look back on their ancestors, they look how their ancestors failed, those things were to remind them what not to do, but how to put your faith and your trust in the Lord. How to remember what the forefathers did but to turn away from their unbelief and their rebellion and instead to follow God with a whole heart. Now when you apply that, we think about if we look at the gospel. If you hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not just listening to it, but you're actually listening and paying attention and hearing it and you're doing something about it. In other words, how many times, I've thought back in my life, how many times did I hear the gospel before I was born again? How many times did I hear it as a child? You know, I had some faithful pastors when I was growing up who were very good to tell the gospel. 
about Jesus and trusting Him and hope in Him. Uh, I went to Bible school, you know, in the summers. I went to summer camps. I remember all of those things. But when I really heard the gospel, when, my, when the Holy Spirit really worked and I heard it, was when I was in college. I was a sophomore in college. It was um, the fall. I remember that I was out on the campus. It was one of those weekends when a lot of the folks that were in college with me who lived in the dorms all had homes not too far away and they took off and a lot of people were gone that weekend. And I remember being out by myself and I took my Bible that I'd been given when I came in as a student and I started reading it. And I remember reading it on the campus that afternoon and finally I just closed the Bible and I said, Lord, if I've never done this right before, if I've never really received Jesus as my Savior before, I really do it now and I mean it with all my heart. I'd heard the gospel hundreds of times. I had read the scriptures. I'd gone to Bible study. I'd been in church. I'd been in Sunday school. But that it all came together at that point in time where I heard and my heart heard and the Holy Spirit used it and worked in me so that I really believed the gospel and embraced it. You know, our author in the, in the book of Hebrews is saying, don't just hear the gospel and not do anything about it. Don't just hear the gospel and stop there. Don't just hear the gospel and draw back. But he's saying, hear the gospel, believe it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and embrace it. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. You know, uh, like Jesus spoke to that man, and the man, you know, and he said, don't be unbelieving, but believe. How do we keep going on when times are hard, when there's suffering? We remember, first of all, to look back at our history and see what our forefathers did and not follow their disobedience or rebellion, but be faithful. And then secondly, we remember what the scriptures teach. John, how many times in the gospel and in the epistles of John, he says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. In 1 John 5 verse 20 it says, We know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. This is the true God and eternal life. John 10 27 where He said, My sheep hear My voice and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand or snatch them from me. Everyone who has heard the gospel and has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as the payment for their sin lives forever. If we hear it, we believe it, we embrace it, we have eternal life. That's what he says. He who has the Son has life. It's that simple. That's what the Scripture teaches us over and over. And that's how you keep going. We keep going in hard times, especially when you're questioning your faith. Um, there's a story about Dr. Francis Schaeffer. He was in Europe. He started off teaching young people um, the Gospel of Luke. He was going all over um, Scandinavia and Western Europe, 
and he was taking, he was doing children's clubs. He and his wife were teaching the book of Luke to children, bringing the gospel story to them. But he was having a hard time, and he, he started to doubt, and he was worried about his doubts and his faith, and his, so he used to go, in, they lived in Switzerland at the time, he started walking in this old barn uh, on Sunday afternoons particularly, and he'd get out there and he'd walk and he'd talk to the Lord and he started to think. And he would go back to, he was an atheist before he was converted, so he said, I went all the way back to my atheism and I started thinking through the answers that the Christian faith has and I started dealing with all my doubts and he said it took some weeks for him to go through and think about all that but as he did he said he came back and he said when he renewed his faith and trusting the Lord like he did and his doubts seemed to crumble away and he said he had a song in his heart a great joy that he hadn't had before you see we're called that the person that has the Son has life. That's what the Scripture tells us. We have real life. We don't just have a life or an existence where we get up day by day, we get up, we eat breakfast, we go to work, we work, we come home, we eat supper, watch TV and go to bed. You know, It's not a treadmill. It's not just, just day-to-day tiresome existence, but it's life. It's real life. And that's what keeps us going when we have doubts and fears. We have real life because Jesus has really given us life in Him. How do we keep going in the tough times? We remember the past. We remember what God's Word says to us about salvation. And we also remember what God's Word is. You know, there's this beautiful verse in chapter 4 these verses that remind us what God's Word is. It says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God is living and active. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on Hebrews says, The Word of God is like God Himself. God is, and what God says, God is what God says. Hence the Word of God is like Himself, living and active. It has inherent power and, uh, and a dynamism that cannot be thwarted. God's Word has this dynamism that can't be thwarted. It's dynamic power. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Through this letter in the book of Hebrews, we've seen in chapter 1 that the author of Hebrews is, is going to quote a lot of Scripture. He really did know his Old Testament. And what he does is, in chapter 1, for instance, he quotes Psalm 2, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 104, Psalm 45, Psalm 102 again, and Psalm 110. In the second chapter, he quotes Psalm 8 and 22, and we've seen in chapters 3 and 4 that he quotes over and over again from Psalm 95. So here is somebody who really knew his scripture. He depended on the Word of God, and he knew that the Word of God was living and active and sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierced down deep into his soul, 
and it revealed the things, the truth of God to him. Because it is God's truth. When the scripture speaks, God speaks, because scripture is God's word. The word of God is living and vital, and it is God's truth to us. Over and over, the author tells us, well, God spoke to us in olden times through the prophets. And then he says, God spoke to us through David. And then he says, the Holy Spirit sang through David. The scripture is God's living and active word. It's been given to us. And he says, this is how we keep going. We keep digging deep into the scriptures. We draw our strength from the scriptures. It is food. You remember what Jesus did when he was tempted? You know, he, he went out, he, he'd gone out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days, just like Israel had been tempted in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is the true Israel. So he goes out to be tempted after his baptism into the wilderness. And when he's in the wilderness, he's fasting. And he fasts and he fasts and he fasts and he's, his body is hungry for food. But you know, he says, when Satan tempts him to turn those stones into bread, what does he say? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. You see, the scripture is spiritual food for us. When time gets going, it's not when, time, when times are hard, when life is difficult, when we've had bad diagnosis or when we've lost someone very precious to us. We don't turn away from God's word, we turn to God's word because God's word is a source of comfort and light and life to us. It's the place that we turn when we find trouble because God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. He uses His Word to comfort our hearts. The Holy Spirit uses that Word to strike down deep in us and to give us that truth that we were longing for at that particular moment. The living and abiding Word of God. Our author is telling the people, don't turn away. Don't hold back. Don't get up to the edge of faith and not believe in Jesus because God's word tells us that Jesus is the true Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, greater than the angels. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is the one that must be worshipped. Remember in chapter 1 he said, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. God, Jesus is exalted in this book as God. We have to go and trust in him alone. And, you know, the, the temptation that those people were facing, their relatives were saying, come on back to Judaism. Come on back to where you were before. You don't have to follow this strange new teaching. You can turn your back on all that. Come back to Judaism. Come back to where you were. Come back to your family. Don't turn your back on everybody that means anything to you. Don't turn your back on Judaism, which is the system that we've lived by. The laws, the prophets, the angels. Don't turn your back on all that. Stay with this. And, and you know, they were putting a lot of pressure on them. But you know... 
Every other religion in the world is a religion of doing things, isn't it? Um, every other religion is do this, follow this teaching, and then you'll be okay with God. You know, take Islam. When I used to go to West Africa, which is 95% Muslim, in West Africa, they, you'll, see, you'll see Islam, everything about Islam everywhere. And what they say is pray five times a day. So if you're going down the street, you'll see men and women. You'll see mostly men out in public, and they'll roll out their prayer mat, and they'll get down at certain times throughout the day, and that five times a day they go to prayer wherever they are. They say, pray five times a day, give alms to the poor, go on pilgrimages to Mecca, keep Ramadan, do all of this. But it's a religion of do this, do this, do this, and then maybe you'll be all right with God. And you know, most of those religions are like that. The Jews thought, if I keep the law, then God will love me. If I'm obedient, if I follow everything strictly, then God will love me. And Jesus had to say to them, you know, God already loves you. God already loves you. We do keep the law out of obedience, out of love for him, out of love because of all that he's done for us. But that's not the way of salvation. The way of salvation is not do. The way of salvation is it's already done. It's been done by Christ. The work is finished. He died on the cross. He paid for our sins. It's over. It's been done because He has done it perfectly. He lived the perfect life. He kept the law in every way. He died the perfect death. He died the complete death that the perfect Lamb of God could only do. So how do we keep going when we're tempted to quit? We keep going by remembering the promises. We keep going by remembering what Scripture says and what Scripture is. And we remember the example of how the, the ancestors failed in the wilderness. But there's one more thing that I wanted to point out to you. We keep going by remembering the promise of rest. Because in, in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, at verse 7, it says this, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as had been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did for, from His. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. He says, remember the promise of rest. Now, that word rest and the word Sabbath are all tied together. They're tied together here and they're tied together in, in different places in Scripture. You remember who Joshua was. Joshua was Moses' assistant. Joshua was the one that followed Moses around, that helped him, that was his number two, if we say it that way. Well, 
after they got to the edge of the Holy Land, you know, Moses went up on the mountain and God said, you can't go in because you didn't believe me and you didn't treat me as holy in the face of the people. So you're not going in. You're going to die right here. I'm going to take you. So Moses went up to the mountain and he died. And then they need a new leader. So the new leader that they got was Joshua. Joshua was the obvious choice. He was the one God had put his hand on. He was the one that Moses had selected. So there's Joshua. Well, Joshua was the one that, you know, would take them into the land. He was the one that was going to bring them into the land. And the land was supposed to be the land of rest, right? But you know, they had to fight to take it. So they get in this land that's the promised land, that it's the land to be a land of rest and a land that was supposed to symbolize the full rest of God of salvation and rest for God with God on the eternal Sabbath for all time, for eternity. But the people were still yearning for that rest and when they get in the, in the land of Canaan, they're still fighting and working and so forth. So they come away discouraged. And he says, Joshua wasn't able to give them the rest that they were looking for. And when you think of it spiritually, everybody is looking for rest for their soul, aren't they? We're all looking for rest for our soul. The rich young ruler came running up to Jesus and we saw how he was looking for rest for his soul. And he came up to Jesus and he said, good master, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And you remember Jesus said to him, well, what about the commandments? How are you doing with those? And he said, I've kept all of those since I was a youth. And he says, all right. Then what about that first commandment that says, you shall have no other gods before me? And you know, we know that the rich young ruler wasn't satisfied. He was hungry in his heart for true rest for his soul. Just like the people that entered into the land were hungry for rest for their souls. And it says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day after that. In other words, there's another rest. Now, Joshua is the Hebrew word that's related to the word salvation or savior. Jesus is the Greek word he shall save his people from their sins, right? So they both, in essence, mean the same thing. Joshua or Jesus. Both relate to the word Savior. The first Joshua brought them into the land but wasn't able to give them rest. But the second Joshua, Jesus, the true Savior, the true fulfillment of Joshua, has brought them in to the real promised land of salvation where they can have rest for their souls, and it's satisfying. Because you see, the people who entered the land just entered a physical land, and they couldn't find spiritual rest because they needed a relationship with God. And you see, that's the same thing for us, isn't it? No matter what we get here, it's never enough. If you get a bigger home, or if you have a family, or if you have your children do well, or if you have a good retirement, if you have your health, all of those things, it's still never enough. 
It's never enough. Because you have to have spiritual rest for your souls. And the only one that can give that to you is the real Joshua. The real Jesus. The real one who came to the cross and died for us. He came. He's the one who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your souls. How do, you, how do you endure in the hard times? I was reading the paper, just the opening front page this morning, and it shows the family of that New York uh, Wall Street Journal reporter who's been charged with espionage in Russia. And I thought about the time, these people can't rest no matter what they do, you know? They're always worried about the phone ringing. They're always worried about the next bit of correspondence of what's happening to their son. They won't be able to rest at all, will they? How do believers rest? How do believers rest in tough times? We remember the past. We remember what our ancestors didn't do and should have done. We remember what God's Word says. We remember what God's Word is. And we remember what the Bible says true rest is. The true rest for your soul is resting in Jesus. That's why I chose for the last hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Because listen to the words. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a Savior like Jesus. We thank you for one who came to do it all for us and who finished the work and completed it on the cross and by the resurrection. We thank you that he's been raised up to glory, that we can give you glory because you have done your perfect work. You have raised up your son from death You've given him victory. You've placed him at your own right hand. You've given him the kingdoms of this world. And Father, we long for that one day when Jesus' name will be the name above every name and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of you, God the Father. Father, we pray for your help in these intervening days. We pray for those who are struggling. We pray for those who have had a bad diagnosis. For those who've lost loved ones, for those who've suffered, for those who've suffered for their faith, for those who've suffered in their marriage, for those who've suffered in uh, being ridiculed and made fun of by others because of their faith. We pray that each day these and others may grow stronger and stronger as we remember you, as we remember your work, as we, we remember that your word and what it said about our salvation. Help us as we enter that rest every day and rest our hope only in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's take our hymnals.